Hi again, folks, and thanks for joining us today. Great to have you with us here on NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you're having a great start to the week, wherever you may be tuning in from. Crisp wind today here in lovely Fukuoka, and we're just about ready to dive right back into our annual summary. But before I introduce our guest for the day, quick word from our sponsor, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener, Hiroshi Shimizu. Shimizu-san is the man to talk to if you're looking into any kind of business or other types of visas for Japan, setting up a local company or other corporate structure, whether it's for the purpose of investing in real estate property or any other kind of business. He's helped quite a few of our clients and acquaintances. He communicates in English, of course, and he's very knowledgeable and approachable. So don't be shy. Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and scrivener. Hit him up on email. We'll link to his address in this episode's show notes or just pick up the phone and call him up. Plus eight one if you're calling from overseas or just a zero from within Japan, nine two seven three two double seven double five and start your Japan residency or business journey on the right foot. Okay, so for today's episode, as promised, we're carrying right on from last week's episode, in which Pretty Donnelly, our marketing manager, um, laid out some statistics and trends from the、um, horrid year that's just gone by, 2020. As well as showcased some of the projections and assumptions that、uh, major industry players have laid out for this year, for 2021. Now, she's touched upon a great deal of topics from national and regional numbers、uh, through sectorial analysis, which market segments have suffered the most or died out completely, which have shown resilience, and which have actually seen an uptick in popularity for all sorts of reasons. So, go back and have a listen to that one、uh, as well if you want to refresh your memories or if you just haven't heard it yet. We'll link to it in the show notes as well. But today we've got our commercial expert on the line with us from Tokyo. So, Shai Greenberg from Genkai Capital, who also happens to be an Israeli like myself, former Wall Street equity and debt professional, and now senior VP and head of the International Business Division at Genkai Capital Management here in Japan. He's also a professor at Tokyo's Temple University, where he's developed and is in charge of the uni's、uh, real estate curriculum. And he's a resident expert on all things related to real estate finance, investment, institutional, large commercial property deals here in Japan, and our favorite person to speak to whenever we're looking for a deeper understanding of the macro movements in this market that we're active in. So, while there's, of course, great benefit、uh, in reviewing bird's eye views of Japan's property market, as we've done here last week and will continue to do every year, it's also really important to actively balance those views with a more、um, feet on the ground type of testimonial. Because, as you'll hear from Shai when we speak, a lot of what the、um, experts are projecting and highlighting as trends haven't really eventuated just yet. And while projections can offer an insight into things to come, it's also important to take them with a grain of salt because、um, they are exactly what the word suggests. They're projections or assumptions. They may eventuate, they may not, they may take a lot longer to come into effect, and some of them might no longer be valid for our practical investment strategy if and when they do eventuate. So here's our chat with Shai Greenberg of Genkai Capital. I hope you enjoy it. If you hop over to our YouTube channel or if you're already tuning in from our YouTube channel, You'll be able to see our faces as well as we speak, if that's your thing.、Um, I've, of course, only remembered to actually click the video record button、uh, a few minutes into the conversation. Our longtime listeners are probably already well、uh, familiar with my 
technical limitations and challenges, so you shouldn't be too surprised by that. But really, the conversation itself is, of course, what we're all here for. So enjoy. Hope you find it as enlightening as I did, and I shall see you again on the other side. Okay, hi again, Shai, and welcome back to the podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us today. Truly appreciate it, and I know our listeners have been looking forward to hearing from you again, too, so yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a, it's a pleasure. I enjoy speaking to you. Yes, yeah, so, um, wow, big year last year, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's becoming cliche, but uh, I've heard it so many times, but it's, it's truly, you're like, like no other. No other, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone saw it came out of the field last time we spoke. When was the last time we spoke? And about the same time uh, last year, like we heard something about uh, some virus or something, but it was just the start of it all, I think. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Would imagine that's that's how the year is gonna pan out. Mm. I mean, it's it's also it's been extremely interesting uh, in a sense that um, it affected markets in a way that people didn't see and didn't didn't see coming. So if, if you asked me in last time we spoke, um, that every, even if if I'd known that there is a pandemic that's gonna mm. uh, you know. Um, uh, Tidal wave across the, the entire globe, and, and people will be locked in. And if you ask, even if I knew that, and you tell me that um, Japanese home builder, I think not only Japanese, it's a global phenomenon, had the best year ever on record, I would scratch my head and tell you, what? Right. Like, how is it possible? <laughs> people losing their jobs, you know, people don't have job security, companies cutting bonuses. How is it possible that people are buying houses left and right? So it's been, it's been affecting the market in really, really interesting ways yeah i think uh, when we get to the sectoral uh, analysis in uh, in a few minutes probably um th- yeah. there's a lot of surprises there so okay so i i guess um where do we start well the silver lining i mean in some aspects at least it looks like japan's been somewhat sheltered from some of the worst of the crisis or at least that's how it feels right like looking at um bankruptcies and foreclosures and job losses so is this really the case or is that just make believe and fluffy money printing i mean we're pretty good at that here yeah i mean that's exactly the point right you know you would assume that with um that much destruction you would see a surge of bankruptcies you know obviously like you live in Fukuoka, i live mm. in tokyo when I stroll the streets, I see a lot of uh, shattered, you know, retail uh, locations, especially restaurants, even around my office at the Marunouchi in Tokyo Station, mm. uh, which is like prime real estate to see a lot of like uh, bonded down uh, retail stops, retail shops. So you would assume that this is happening in the general economy, but when you look actually at the numbers, uh, it looks like uh, there has not been a lot of bankruptcies in the Japanese economy, which is kind of kind of intuitive, because you would think there'd be a lot because mm. of all that deep in, in transactions. Um, I think to a great extent, you're absolutely right. The government here really stepped up and supported little businesses, uh, small businesses, SMEs, with a lot of uh, with a lot of um, kind of like grants and and, and, and money uh, like that. If you can uh, demonstrate that your revenue dropped you know, compared to previous years due to the coronavirus, you mm-hmm. get uh, a nice support from the government, which kept a lot of businesses afloat. So, 
you don't see that amount of uh, bankruptcies as you would have expected. Um, and is it, um, is it sustainable? I don't know. I would assume not. I mean, I would assume not. And, and this, this similar stories with bankrupts, uh, sorry, with uh, foreclosures as well. The banks here have not been uh, overly aggressive on uh, enforcing uh, loan documents and, and, uh, and um, taking business out of foreclosure, which I think is also kind of like uh, uh, guidance they've received from the government um, on not being very highly, you know, highly aggressive with doing that. So when it comes to um, not only uh, foreclosure, but also other forms of distress transactions, the, it's been a, a trickle, but not a, not a, not a, not a tsunami of, of, of those, those deals. We're but looking very closely. Down, right? Yeah. We're looking very closely, for instance, at the uh, hospitality market, which we're going to talk soon. Mm. You know, we, we, some hotels have outright closed down. Others have been running with very low, uh, you know, um, occupancy rates, but still, there's not, a, there's, there's not a lot of them on the block at prices that are kind of like screaming distress, distress. Yeah. So all in all, transaction volumes are down? Are they down significantly? I mean, we've looked at um, year on year, they seem to have only gone down by about 22%, but that also takes into account the first half of the year, which would have been a bit more subdued, particularly the first quarter. So is that more of this, do you think it's a delay of the inevitable? Do you think we'll see more of that next year? You know, I would think so. Um, if, if, you know, first I, I forgot to caveat the, the views I share here are my own, my, my own views and not my, my firms. But, uh, but if I'm looking at just at what happened with my firm, uh, we've, our uh, financial year, it starts in, in July through June. Yeah. So um, first half of last last year, so I'm talking about calendar years. Uh, so the second half of the, our financial year was very good because a lot of deals that um, you know were in we're working on for several months closed despite of Corona. And we're very lucky that the bank said, you know, this is a deal we've been working on with you for several months. We'll go through with it before they close the, you know, uh, the taps. Yeah. Um, but even our second half of the year has been, has been good. So less transactions are happening, but it's not like the market stops completely. But then if you look at uh, who are the main players in the Japanese market, uh, commercial, large commercial real estate market, you have broadly uh, three categories. You have, uh, I think, the most active category in in the recent history was the uh, JREIT, the Japanese Real Estate Investment Trust, which has been a key player. Then yeah. you have domestic corporations. So you have all the developers, and you have other corporations that buy and invest in real estate that are not set up as a as a REIT. And then you have the foreign investors. So. Last year, uh, in terms of uh, the J-REITs, you saw a, a very large drop. Very large drop. You saw a drop of maybe, I'm talking, the data is out in uh, Q3. You see a drop of like 33%. And so um, net, they've added properties. 
but uh, much less than previously. So they were net buyers, not net sellers, but they've added much less properties. They've reduced this, the, 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 the volume, the transaction volume to, to a very um, like minor levels. Yep. Then domestic operations, I think they've been you know, uh, also muted. The, uh, the positive surprise is that the interest from foreign buyers have been very strong throughout. Well, we're which a opportunistic investor, aren't we? Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, you, exactly, you, you've been benefiting from that as well. But yeah. also on the commercial side, um, the, the interest have not gone down. And, and as a result, when you look at the numbers, you see that foreign investors have taken a much bigger uh, piece of the pie compared to previous years. Okay, so are we thinking, because I've been reading a lot of projections that say that um, a lot of the assets um, that people have been waiting, just sitting on, might hit the market towards mid-2021, um, just because people were hoping for sort of like a V-shaped crisis, right? Like Michael, drop off a cliff and then just recover quickly, but it's, that hasn't happened, obviously. So are we going to see a lot more assets hitting the market this year, do you think, which would obviously be uh, affecting the prices as well? Um, I think it's, it's, it's possible. I think it's possible. And I think the big, uh, the, typically the biggest drive when it comes to commercial property is the lender breathing down your neck. Yeah. Telling you, okay, you know, it's time. And I think uh, at, at one point or the other, the lenders are going to start picking uh, winners and losers. They're going to start picking companies which you're going to stick by. Uh, maybe long-term relationship. Maybe they see a future. Uh, maybe just a, a lot of rapport between the, the, the bank and the, and the lender and the, and the borrower. And, they, and they're going to uh, look at peripheral in the lending book, peripheral properties, peripheral borrowers that, you know, maybe it's a one-off. Maybe the relationship is not that deep. Maybe uh, kind of thing. Yeah, right, the company is shaky, and, and those ones they're gonna they haven't done this so far, but those ones they might decide to uh, you know cut loose, and then those properties are gonna hit the market. So would that also be a factor of um, I'm guessing vacancies, right? Like how are how I mean if people are able to meet their uh, their loan criteria means that they probably got occupancies, but if they don't. Have you seen a m- much of a change in that? So when I was talking about this, I was mostly in my mind I had the vision of uh, hospitality because hospitality has been hit the most uh, yeah. because of this uh, pandemic. It started off with a, with a real huge drop. I think uh, we, we've, we're investing in, in, in hotels. Uh, we, uh, we asset manage uh, some hotels. We're developing hotels. So we need to divide... Right, I think hospitality will be back. I think um, Japan is still going to be a very, very attractive destination once things normalize. Mm. So I think the, the demand will be there. And obviously, Japan is unique in a sense because uh, unlike other countries, um, domestic demand here for hospitality, for hotels, is, is like 80% of the entire pie. Yep. So regardless if the skies are open or not, you have this very, very strong uh, domestic demand. Yep. But what we've seen is we've seen 
uh, with business hotels, city like especially city center, Tokyo, uh, Osaka, those type of like big cities, mostly business travel drops significantly, and you saw maybe ten at, at like the trough, you saw maybe ten percent occupancy, and you could get hotel rooms at funny prices that you know were maybe a third of what were the were the going prices like ADR before uh, the Corona hit. But then you saw a divide. You saw like drive-through destination from the big cities, like resort-type hotels that came back, came back strong, uh, and also were aided by this go-to campaign that the Japanese government rolled out, yeah. which really kind of like uh, the Japanese fit the bill for uh, a portion of the, a large portion, it depends on how much you pay, but the, but a portion, a significant portion of your stay. That's Did you not- use it? Let's not, no, I did not, and I, I don't even want to go there to talk about what that's actually done to infection rates, but yes, yes, I definitely agree that it's done a lot for occupancies, yeah. So, but it was kind of like, like a sugar rush, because, yeah. you know, it, it was extremely successful. A lot of people used it. I, I don't remember the numbers, but it, it's in the billions. People mm. really, really travel yeah. um, and uh, use that incentive. Um, and so occupancy went up. But then they took it away or they paused it and then occupancy dropped again and they put it back in and it went up again. But again, it's a limited pool of people that are traveling. So you, you know, you went to a hotel once, maybe you'll do it again, but you're not gonna make it a habit and, you know, you know, every month pay, spend a week in a, in a resort hotel. Yeah. I wish I could, but yeah, most people are nice like, <laughs> <laughs> can't. So, uh, so that has like a, a diminishing um, diminishing effect, um, and then that's something you can count on. And, and we've seen then occupancy drop back down. So those guys are suffering, and those and and, and once lenders are gonna uh, kind of like say, okay, we need to kind of like tighten up our book, um, you're gonna see more like that. Occupancy in multifamily. I don't think dropped much. Yeah. No, I we haven't seen been, that at all. Yes. Okay. I think it's been a little bit more challenging to fill up a new uh, project because I think what I've been in, in discussions I've had with uh, with developers and, and um, operators of multifamily that owns large books of multifamily, we have also have some multifamily, but not enough to make kind of like a, a statistical judgment. I'm talking about companies that manage like tens of thousands of apartments. What they told me was it become really sticky. So people in an apartment are reluctant to move because they don't want to tour. They don't want to go out that much and look at apartments. Um, some um, condo developers told me that even people don't want to come to the apartment handle. They say, yeah, mail me the keys. Yeah. They don't really want the interaction. So. Um, that's one, and obviously moving in Japan is a very expensive uh, endeavor, right? Mm-hmm. You need to set up like six, seven months of rent in advance just to move. One month to the broker, two months security deposit, two months uh, raking that saying thank you to the landlord for letting you use his apartment, maybe six, maybe uh, half a month for like uh, insurance for the for the rent. Yeah. Um, plus the moving expense, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very expensive endeavor. So we, we've so been seeing the exact same thing even in our lower yeah. end of the market. So we mostly deal with second-hand, uh, second-hand multifamilies. Yeah. 
And it's exactly as you say. So vacancy rates are generally a lot lower. People are not in a hurry to move. But once you do get a vacancy, it takes a long time to fill it up, a lot longer than it was in previous years. I see. That's been our experience as well. Okay, how about vacancies and rents in the commercial sector then? Yeah, I mean, one last point about uh, sure. and you can, you can probably concur, um, is that because we're investing in, um, in properties in the U.S. as well, and while occupancy has held very strong in the U.S. as well, collection has suffered yeah. in some properties more than others. Um, especially in the U.S. now, there's a, there's a, it's, it's maybe not relevant, but there's like a, a, a eviction moratorium, so you can't really um, collect. And it's a, it's a much more manual process. In Japan, you hardly have any, um, any delinquencies. Even during the corona, delinquencies have not jumped up significantly. They've mm. held up really strong. People are paying exactly when they're supposed to as they're supposed to. A lot of it is automized, not like in the U.S. where people need to give it, come with a check to the leasing office um, and, and give it. So um, investors have enjoyed uh, that, that kind of like stability of uh, um, residential. So residential has been gaining popularity with, uh, with institu- institution investors, foreign investors as well. Are you seeing the same thing? We are seeing the same thing, and I think a lot of it is due to the fact that um, it's obviously uh, there's two different stories here, right? Uh, company employees versus uh, people who are working in maybe lower-paid jobs. But if you're working for a company, Japan's never, and this crisis hasn't changed. It Japan's never been a massive layoff kind of environment, right. right? So, um, salaries don't go up when the economy does well, but they're not going to fire you when the economy does bad. So that stability is definitely made. Yeah, we felt the same. Yeah. But commercial is a different story, though, isn't it? I mean, um, companies do resize and relocate, and once they lose their income, they just don't pay the rent and they move out. Yeah. Um, so office buildings, office building also saw a tick up in in vacancy, and that I think that's a growing trend and it, it's continuing. Mm. Um, but you know, if people listening to this podcast outside of Japan. They have to realize that even after the, you know, raising vacancy rate that we've had due to the coronavirus, the vacancy rate in, for instance, in Tokyo is uh, still mid 3%, yeah. which is every market in the world would like to say, sign me up now. Mid yeah. 3% is incredible. <laughs> it's I'm looking at double the vacancy percentage of last year, though, isn't it? Of the year before. You had about 1.5%, I think, in Tokyo. I think it depends on which, um, if you're looking at class A only, class A and, and class B, it depends on how you slice the data. Yeah. But it, I, you know, uh, if, if you look at the same data set, it's up from like uh, low twos. Yeah. Um, which is a lot. In some markets, we've seen a bigger increase uh, of that. Uh, some less established markets. Um, you know, in, in Tokyo itself, I mean, some uh, some markets, but uh, but still, I mean, it's 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 a great, it's still a great uh, a great vacancy rate in a very very strong market. Um, you've seen a bigger uptick in class, and also in here, 
averages really don't tell the story, right? You need to go granular. So you've seen a bigger uptick in class A compared to uh, class B, C, because A, class A is where all the development is happening. So uh, when a new building comes up, a lot of it is pre-list, and a lot of the tenants are, it's a, it's a musical chair game. A lot of yeah. tenants move from class A office, this one, to class A new, new office, that one. So that one has vacancy. Or even the new um, inventory that hits the market, not all of it is pre-list. Some of it is spec. Uh, even in the same building, you know, it's a big building, some of it you might have an anchor tenant that is pre-list, but the rest you, you know, you're expecting to lease after the fact. And those have been harder to lease in this environment. So that's where the, the majority of the uptick went. Class B, nobody's developing, mm. or very little development. Um, and very, very sticky because the, the differential between class B rent and class A rent can be two times or more. So it's not like a new class A building is built. So my, the class B tenant is going to move to that class A. He's not going to double no. his rent. Yeah. And also, it's, we're talking about moving for residential being expensive. Boy, it's really expensive to move an office in Japan. Yeah. Um, you know, for um, international companies, when they move to Japan and they heard and they hear it for the first time, they're like, "What? <laughs> Impossible!" <laughs> yeah. When you when you move in an office in Japan, forget about the very very expensive build out costs. You have to put a cash deposit of, you know, in most cases, twelve months worth yeah. of rent. Twelve months worth of rent. You know, I was doing. Um, you know, uh, commercial leases and some of the tenants that uh, I worked with, that ended up being um, many, many millions of dollars yeah. that are just lying in the landlord's bank account. You're renting out a floor. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's sticky. But do you think that part of the reason that you're not seeing that many vacancies or at least less than you'd expect is maybe because, I mean, some of the leases are still ongoing, right? Like some of them are fixed leases. They're not going to end for a while. That's a valid point. Traditionally, the, the Japanese um, rental market, which is also like a, um, a very interesting feature of the market, um, was something called a traditional uh, Japanese lease, which is like a residential lease. You can cancel whenever you want. Yeah. Um, but in recent years, call it, now I don't want to time it, but in, especially in the, the last 10 years, a lot of the uh, 10, 15 years, a lot of the big Japanese landlords have transitioned into a fixed term leases, similar to the one you have in the US, but shorter in duration, yeah. which is why you may see the effect quicker than in, in the US and other markets like the UK, where you have 10, 15 year leases. In Japan, they tip those, even the fixed term Japanese leases are um, typically three to five years. So yes, there's no, not much you can do in the course of that three years. You can leave, but you can still, you still need to pay the rent till the end yeah. of the lease term. Yeah. Um, so once the lease expires, then yeah, you might see an uptick of that in the next, there's, there's a lag effect. Absolutely, I agree. So we might see more vacancies and maybe lower rents towards the middle of, or end of this year, you think? Um, I've, I've not seen a report or an, an exercise done to analyze like lease expirations 
Mm. Um, it's very difficult to do for um, all the buildings because tenants come and leave at different times. But it's kind of like an easy exercise to do uh, with, with buildings that were built in, in recent years. So 2012 was a big delivery year. Uh, and the last two, three years were also big delivery years in terms of office space. Mm. So 2012, if, you, if you're looking at two five-year lease terms, 2022, yeah. next year. That'll be about um, it. It can be a combination of five and three or three and three. So it's a little bit difficult, but it, it, it can be an interesting exercise to, very simple exercise to do and see uh, where a big chunk of the, those leases are coming, uh, are maturing. Mm. And, and definitely. And we've seen, um, obviously, companies, uh, on the commercial side, the companies, a lot of them have been resizing um, not by layoffs, but by either relocating some of the staff to smaller offices and more um, in suburban or satellite cities and sending some staff to work from home. And I've been reading that on the residential front that created uh, more demand or at least more conceptual demand for future developments to increase the residential space just to allow for a home office or for a small room where somebody who's working from home can. Have you seen any of that at all or is that just still projections? I think this is a big driver of the shift to home builders. Mm. I think this is why single-family homes are selling really, really well in Japan. Just because um, you can have that extra den or you can very, very effectively separate uses. So it's not all on the same floor plate, right? You, you can work on the, on the first floor and sleep on the third, right? It's typically yeah. a three, two to three stories, like very small. Wooden structure. Um, I've seen um, floor plates change, where now it's really, really important to have a den or a work working area, and looking very, very um, closely away. You know where to stick it because very close to the kids' room, right? Yeah, because you know the Japanese apartments are really, really small. Yeah, and the Japanese apartments have went through a. a a process of shrinking mm. over the past years. So it used to be, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of the listeners from North America or other places are going to feel sorry for us now, but it used to be a three-bedroom uh, three plus dining kitchen apartment. It used to be 74, 5 square meters. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking Tokyo. Yeah, it may be different. Uh, it's the same in all big cities. If Fukuoka, Osaka, definitely the same. Sapporo is the only place where we see bigger ones, actually. Okay, and because land prices slowly creeping up, construction prices, especially construction prices, have gone through the roof. In in the in the past, I, I, again, I don't want to time it 10, 15 years. It mm. started with the Olympic in in, in China. It, it has, uh, it, it's also because of demographics, because the biggest input is actually labor force yeah. and you see a shrinking labor force. So people, if you go to a construction site in Japan, it looks like a, a, a recently I see a lot more young uh, Southeast Asians working on construction sites. But if you go to smaller construction sites, it looks like a geriatric center, a geriatric center. It's like you see people in the 70s and 80s working in yeah. construction. 
So there's a shorter of uh, skilled labor and construction. So price, construction price went up, but salaries did not go up no. to some extent. And there is a, a, a limited, most people in Japan, when they buy a house or an apartment, they buy it using a, a loan from the bank, a home loan. And yeah. the home loan has a very strict metric on how much money you make versus how much money you can borrow. So there is a ceiling on the, how much money the developer can charge for an apartment. So their cost went up, but people still like those three, uh, three bedrooms in dining, kitchen, apartment. Mm. So what they, they, the only solution they found was to shrink the apartments. Yeah. So now when you go buy uh, three bedrooms plus kitchen plus dining uh, plus living room, those, they fit those into like 68, 68 yes. and a half kilometers. That's a work of art. Yeah. Take a, take a piece of paper and try to fit all of that into a bed. I mean, the Japanese are very good, good at that, but you end up with very, very tiny apartments. So they, now you need to add a den to it, like a place where people can work, which makes the challenge even bigger. So they might expand, but you, you hit that um, how much money I can borrow. So if construction costs will go down once the you know, Olympic now is done and over, etc., that might be... That might be they might they can maybe they can inflate a little bit again, but uh, unless that happens, I don't see a, a huge uh, shift there. Okay, so we're still in uh, wishful thinking land as far as that's concerned. That that the, the result of it might be pushing people to the outskirts of the cities where the land is cheaper and yeah. they can get a slightly bigger apartment. So in Tokyo, it would be Saitama, Chiba, Kanagawa, uh, maybe further out. Yeah. Um, so that might be the case. Yokohama has got a lot of uh, suburban space that you could expand to. I mean, it's a huge city, but the um, the commercial uh, side of it is just uh, two or three stations. The rest of it is all suburban, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But that's yes. a bit of a commute to Tokyo. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. There's some express, uh, express trains that can get you to Tokyo Station with like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. So, but, but, but those clusters around those stations are, are pretty expensive. I mean, yeah. it's comparable to Tokyo. Um, so you, you do need to go to the, to the outskirts. Maybe, um, you know, you know, maybe it will be some counter um, movement to the movement we see to everybody clustering in city centers. And yeah. then you get all these uh, akia, all these vacant uh, houses and stuff that nobody are not usable. Yeah, well, the people who can afford to move there, but I don't see, um, you know, your typical uh, office lady or convenience store worker or people that don't actually do a sort of data-oriented job. They don't really have the choice, do they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of con- um, convenience also because we, we were chatting before, um, before we, go, we went online, right? I'm working from home today. Yeah. Um, and... I have no issue working at the office. Uh, I know I have a window. Um, uh, we're pretty um, spread uh, in terms of employees. I have an issue with the commute. Yeah. Because trains in Tokyo are packed. Yeah. It's like people standing you know, in front of me like this, like there's no corona. And when, as it gets colder, used, people used to open the windows. Now the, the windows are closed. So yeah. like I dread the commute. So you're right. If, if that office lady has to be in the office every day, 
the solution is not moving away from the office. It's moving closer to the office. Yeah. But that's not affordable. Yes. So maybe we'll see a smaller apartment that does 20 square meters, office lady, an office lady, I mm-hmm. won't say office lady, like there's 20 square meters, like single uh, apartments. Maybe they'll shrink to 15. <laughs> yeah. They live in smaller shoeboxes. Well, so, some, of the, um, some of the companies that I've been reading about have actually made, a, made the move themselves with the office relocating or, or breaking down into a few smaller offices in more suburban areas. And that does elevate some of the pressure on the central city. Okay. Um, but it's still um, not, not, a, not a national trend, I think. Yeah, I've, I've seen the headlines. I've seen a couple of companies saying we're moving to, you know, Hiroshima this or that, but from Ginza, but I haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen this um, becoming like mainstream yet. Yeah. But having said that, you know, we, we are bullish on office. We think, uh, we think office, at least, you know, I believe, but, but the firm as well, we, we, we're, we're actually, uh, you know, um, developing uh, an office in Fukuoka right now. No, oh, so let's uh, see around here a bit. Um, it's, um, we know, we know our, our headquarters is actually in Fukuoka, so it's handled by people uh, there on the ground, so I don't get to travel to Fukuoka mm-hmm. as much as I'd like to, but, mm-hmm. um, but it's, uh, it's kind of like a central location, big office in uh, office space in, in, uh, in Fukuoka terms. Um, so, and, and we, 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 we're bullish. We believe that uh, we'll, we'll get at least we'll get at least a good uh, uh, terms and and uh, and there's a need. Mm. And continuously, will be a need for that. And you've mentioned Ginza, um, which sort of gives me a bit of a segue into retail. How's retail been doing? Um, you know, we we mentioned it a little bit when you walk down. Um, Tokyo nowadays, you see a lot of uh, closed retails, retails uh, outlets. It's, um, it's it's really it's really shocking. You know, I, I after a very long time, uh, I I walked uh, Takeshita Dori in Harajuku. That's like the mecca of it's called the mecca of uh, Asia fashion. Yeah, it's a lot of not only Japanese but Asian brands want to be there. It's where like trends start, etc., etc., etc. And it's even when I went, it was packed. Lots of pedestrians. Yeah. So the food traffic is tremendous. But I didn't count it. So, you know, but just my, my impression was like 30% of the stores are closed with a yeah. for rent sign or, you know, uh, bar down. Until was, was, kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, it was really shocking, you know. Mm. Even a street that gets perhaps the most pedestrian or up there with, with any of the retail locations in, in, in the world, I would say, mm. um, you see that much vacancy. And so I was like, why is that? Why is that? Talking to a lot of people and say, you know, um, people are walking, but they're not buying. Okay. And, and a lot of the... Uh, sales activity that happened in those locations um, was from tourists. Yeah. Like, I think the, you know, every year there, there's a, there's a uh, Chinese ca- character, Kanji of the Year, right? 
I think a few years back it was Bakugai, right? Like explosion buying. So all the tourists would come in and buy three suitcases in Ginza for 5,000 yen and then fill them up with goods. Mm. It's a big uh, lull that uh, the, the, the retailers have not been able to fill. So, yeah, I, I think retail is, is hurting uh, quite a bit. We own and manage retail. Um, and I can tell you that um, some retailers are holding very well, like, um, um, you know, grocery store anchored, mm. community centers. Yeah. They're holding very well. If anything, grocery stores like supermarket sales went up um, and people still frequent them. What you see is city center, like around office blocks where employees are not going as often as they used to, to the office in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's not as bad as it is in, in, in the U.S. where you see in, like in New York City, physical occupancy of offices like 10-15%. In Japan, it's higher. But even if you drop 30%, it's, it's still significant. So a lot of those retailers are hurting. And a lot of the entertainment, uh, a lot of the large firms has put a ban on their employees not to go out socializing with, with, uh, with other firms, colleagues, mm. or if they do, um, limit the number of people that can participate in those, uh, you know, those dinner meetings to five yeah. or six. And mm. then no Nijikai, which was what kept all the uh, hostess clubs going, right? Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. The restaurants are hurting bad. I can see a lot of my friends either going out of business, closed until further notice. Um, here yeah. as well, I'm assuming it's worse in Tokyo. Right. But then when you look at my neighborhood, for instance, it's funny because the restaurants are busy. Lunchtime, evening time? Um, even evening time. Okay. So it's, it's personal. It's not business oriented. Uh, so it's, you're not hanging with friends from work. You, you're hanging with, I don't know, neighbors and, and, and stuff like that. So I think suburban... Like, like I live in a hub uh, that, you know, a, a lot of, you know, draws it, um, a lot of, uh, you know, commuters from the adjacent, you know, from, from the inside the ward and, and adjacent, like, places. I live mm. in Ftakotamagawa. Mm. Um, so you see a lot of, you, you see restaurants are still working well. But city center, like, office areas, uh, retails and, and um and rest are not doing that well. Anywhere they're dependent on the uh, non-communication type uh, meetings, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but everybody, uh, across, across the board, it's, it's, uh, it's shades of gray, but across the board, I think sales are down. Okay. So putting all of that together, where would you see opportunities arising this year for anybody who's interested in uh, capitalizing on everything that's happening? I mean, the, so th- in the past year, there's been two... Um, shining kind of like stars in the skies of uh, commercial real estate. One of them is residential, which we spoke was holding very strong in terms of occupancy, in terms of collection, um, and has been drawing more and more uh, capital. Mm. The other one has been logistics. Yeah. Because, um, you know, people are buying more online. And the need for logistics facilities is just strong, and 
clearly demonstrated in its and uh, its uh, uh, in its thesis to understand, and also um, it's been the darling not only of um, investors, equity investors, but also of um, lenders. So you know if it's an asset that you can get higher LTVs, loan to values, higher like more loans, mm-hmm. uh, more money uh, lended to you. And uh, the spread is the, the, the cost of capital is very tight. Then obviously um, it, it's, it's further enhances your returns and attracts uh, more equity investors into the space. So even those though two prices, things, prices have gone up and yields have been compressed, I hear. Is that correct? Even, prices have gone up tremendously, yields have compressed, but um, the cost yeah. of the capital uh, for the loan, is still very, very low in Japan. Your interests are very, very low in Japan. So cost of capital is very low. And if you can get, so if you can use, if you can buy this property by using less of your money and more of the bank's money, so to speak, like in the balance. So let's assume you're looking at retail property. Okay, the bank might look at it in a very conservative way and say, oh, sorry, we can't lend you more than 50%. I'm just giving an example. More than 50% of... uh, the the um the price of the property mm. then the remaining 50 percent you have to bring from your own uh resources right yeah equity. but if you're going to um a high demand or a, a a property type where the lenders feel more comfortable uh they feel more secured in it and they say okay instead of 50 we'll be willing to lend you 65 right now you have to bring a lot less money from the bank and and the and the and the and the interest rates in Japan are very low, so it actually um, compensates you for that uh, increasing in price and uh, you know reduction of overall yield. So cash on cash, you're still doing very well. That's right. You're still doing very well on that property, mm-hmm. um, and so I think residential is. I don't see a reason why it will slow down. Um, Logistics, you have. I've seen a, a, a surge of uh, development. So it's not a very complicated property to develop. And, basically, right? Right, yeah. and you have a lot of uh, a lot of um, great uh, contractors and designers in Japan that have a lot of institutional knowledge that can help you gap that that you know that lack of knowledge. Yeah. So you see a lot of like residential developers and developers from other like segments of the market moving into a commercial and developing. Also foreign firms as well. Uh, Kaplan and others are starting to develop uh, logistics properties in Japan. Um, so that's something to keep an eye for and to make sure those uh, supply demand fundamentals don't move out of balance. But as far as I can tell, for most markets, uh, the demand far, you know, surpasses the the supply, and so there's still a lot of room to grow uh, for growth in that market. So we've we've uh, we've we've also been investing in in logistics. We've set up a fund. It was in, it was released uh, in the press. Um, acquired one property in. Uh, Kanagawa, and uh, we, we're continuously looking at the space. Having said so, like you like you've mentioned, 
prices have gone up and yields have compressed. Mm-hmm. And so, it, and also there's fierce competition for property. So to secure properties and secure higher yields or even just the property, you need to move a little bit up the risk curve. So you need maybe to take lease up risk, which it means to, to take properties that are vacant or nearing completion. Maybe or you need to take your own, right? Or develop on your own or take development risk and do that on your own. Yeah. Okay. So logistics, residential, um, hospitality, distressed assets are obviously going to hit the market soon. But um, if we're assuming tourism is coming back, that would be a good play, wouldn't it? I would, I would, uh, I would, I would agree. Um, and um, we're closely monitoring kind of thing. Right? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we're closely monitoring the market. I mean, there's a lot of properties on on. Don't take me wrong. Liquidity is there, so there's a lot of properties on the market for sale. Yeah, uh, hotel properties, but prices have not come down to a level where it, uh, in in my view, justifies uh, jumping in. Selectively, maybe you, you can find a deal there, but it's not a surge. But it might happen, you know, when we talked about capital markets and we talked about the lender's attitude. If the lender attitude changes, mm-hmm. then you might see more opportunities in that space. Okay. Any of the alternative assets catch your eye? Like, uh, I don't know, senior assisted living, student housing, data centers, um, I don't know, co-working. I know co-living is pretty dead, but co-working maybe is still a thing. Flex office. Um, I personally believe in flex office. We're not in, investing in it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's more like an operational uh, stuff, uh, kind of like a segment of the market. Um, I personally believe in it. I think, especially uh, not especially, but I think I think there's a pl- there's a there's a growing place for that mm-hmm. uh, in the way uh, people's companies think about their footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, student housing, so we're investing in student housing in the U.S., but we're not uh, investing in student housing in Japan, so I'm not very well familiar with, this, with the space. Um, in terms of uh, data centers, then yes, that has been a fantastic asset because, um, you know, we're all at home watching uh, Netflix, and so, um, uh, and also a lot of the data a lot of those transactions that we're buying online, um, you know, has financial data, etc., yeah. that is generated and needs to be stored somewhere. So I think that's absolutely yes. But that has been uh, extremely niche market and very, very highly, highly specialized. Yeah, it needs uh, to be used to mm. It's, I mean, you. You have to be extremely selective on the site. You know, it's it's really, really, really unique. Yeah. Um, so you have some some companies that specializes in that, and I think that they're doing really well. And I know Japan is gaining at- attention from other international firms that want to get into that space as well. I think I think there's a, it's going to be a very very interesting space uh, if you if you have the know how and 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 wherewithal to do it. So in the U.S., for instance, you can gain, as, a, as an individual investor, you can gain exposure to the space by buying REITs. But in Japan, there's, not a, there's, not, there's no J-REITs that specializes in that space. There's not enough volume. Too small, right? Yeah. Um, senior housing, we'll be looking very carefully at senior housing. 
there seems to be a lot of uh, a, 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 a lot of properties on the market. Um, it's a little bit challenging for me. Uh, it's very complex. It's it's very uh, compartmentalized into different segments, which has different forces enforcing on them, but they all emerge in the eyes of the consumer because they have all these choices. So some of it uh, gets support from the government directly. Some of it is, is through is through the, the tenants. It's, it's kind of like a, a very complex market. Okay. Uh, and um, um, there's issue with labor. So um, that works in the facilities, like helpers, uh, you know. And so the, even the larger firms tend to keep the size of each facility on the small size. So in terms of investment couple, each of them, each of those centers is actually pretty small. Um, so you can't, de- like in an office space in Tokyo, you can easily deploy a billion dollar, right, without yeah. blinking. But you you can't <clears throat> do that with uh, senior housing. It would have to be a thousand properties, right? I don't know. So it's very granular. So it's it's challenging. It has its challenges. So you, need good, to... you need good feet on the ground as far as operators go and asset managers go. Otherwise, you have to be dealing with the micro, and that's going to be a pain for big investors, right? Operators is absolutely the key. Okay. Operation is absolutely the key. Absolutely right. Operation is the key to do it all. And there's all there's a handful of operators that are kind of like, um, uh, you know, corporate grade or, or credit really really strong that lenders would be willing to lend you money on. So it's challenging in different dimensions. Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah. What What else did we did you mention? That's it, man. I think uh, we've, we've, we've taken plenty of your time. Thank you. I'm, I'm almost tempted to say, let's see what 2021 will bring, but I'm not sure I want to say that. I mean, on a, on a personal level, at least. I'm sure those opportunities abound, but um, yeah, but thank you very much. So yeah, let's see how things pan out. And uh, thank you again for your time and your insights. Hopefully we'll speak again uh, this time next year. Yeah, absolutely. I hope it's helpful. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to come on. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, yes, as I have mentioned at the start, it is all well and good to discuss what may or may not happen in 2021. But if 2020 showed us every, anything, it showed us all too well that we never quite know what's on the cards, regardless of whatever trends and projections and assumptions we've been hearing of. So it's always good to stay a bit closer to the ground once in a while and look at things as they are at the moment. And Chai's done a really good job grounding us in reality, I think. Now, before we go, a quick reminder about the services of one of our other sponsors, Humble Bunny, who are our favorite online sales, digital marketing, and e-commerce experts. Whether you're looking to upgrade your existing uh, small, medium business online presence, or if you're working for a larger firm and you want to impress your bosses, or you've got a lot of um, in-house corporate politics to deal with, they are the best digital marketing strategy uh, analysts and experts available in Japan. And they are really your one-stop shop for all things digital business related. So if you want to increase your conversions, your online traffic, build or enhance a brand presence, you name it, drop them a line on inquisitive at humblebunny.com. Ask to speak with Nate, tell him you heard of their services here on the podcast and you'll be well on your way. 
So that's it from us for today, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and our chat with Shai Greenberg of Genkai Capital. Drop us a line in the comments section if you have enjoyed it. We'd love to hear from you. Don't be shy to ask us or Shai anything at all. We're always happy to talk shop. And if you could hop over to the iTunes store and leave us a short review there or at least a star rating, we'd appreciate it even more. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, as well as from Shai, we wish you a great week or weekend ahead. Your scoop. Sku-